Oh hey there, good to talk to you again, and welcome to Cryptic Chronicles, a show dedicated to all the unexplained mysteries of existence, higher knowledge, esoterica, the paranormal, or anything dark, weird, or other in the world. This is a podcast that's a refuge from all things mainstream, meant for like-minded open thinkers who understand the great truth that things are almost never what they seem at face value. In this episode, I'm fulfilling a request made by Warhut, or whatever his real name is, because I don't know, it could be Warhut. But Warhut asked me to cover some anomalous superhuman abilities from like psychic lore, spiritual lore, like psychic powers, I guess, or some of them. But they're basically just anomalous superhuman abilities. Warhut's interested in like yogi powers from, um, Hinduism, you know, like all the crazy stuff that they do. So I got some of that in there. Yoga Sutra, powers from the Vedas. There's a lot of lore around uh, yoga masters, occult powers, tons of crazy legends. I'm just going to talk about 10 such anomalous abilities in this episode. I'll make a sequel for him with even more mysterious powers if he likes it. Warhut, thanks for being such a cool fan. Then I'm going to go into an overview of the Ascended Masters. I talk about the Ascended Masters and the anomalous superhuman abilities, so I figured why not. Ascended Masters are basically immortal and profoundly enlightened beings that were once regular humans. They've just evolved and developed spiritually to the point that they transcend the material universe. Oh, and also aliens. I talk about aliens during that for a little bit, but it's super weird. And of course, I'll talk about some famous Ascended Masters and the secret societies that they allegedly influenced, as well as their influence on New Age stuff, theosophy, and Hindu yogi culture, I guess. In any case, strap in because it's going to get super cerebral. I'm your host, Tim Hacker, and you're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. Tales of supernatural yogi are abundant, with these enlightened beings portraying extreme anomalous abilities that seem superhuman. There are also tales of the ascended masters, zen masters, saints, psychics, lightworkers, Tibetan Buddhists, mystics, prophets, and occultists who all allegedly have anomalous superhuman abilities. But just what are these supernatural powers that they seem to possess? And what relevance do they have in the modern world? Though the majority of society is skeptical that such things are possible, some accounts are hard to deny unless one is delusionally self-ignorant of seeing beyond the little box that they've accepted as their reality. I mean, many people are just straight up incapable of seeing beyond their social conditioning. Now, in saying that, I'm not saying that anomalous superhuman abilities are true, or that you should even take them seriously. All I'm saying is, is that things are very rarely what they seem at face value. 
with leaked CIA documents giving relevance to the existence of humans with supernormal abilities. These documents state that scientists have been basically studying the phenomena officially with a government-issued sanction and funding for around 20 years now. And if you want, you can even go look up these documents yourself as proof. They're entitled, The Chronology of Recent Interest in Exceptional Functions of the Human Body in the People's Republic of China. They were originally leaked, but now, thanks to the Freedom of Information Act, you can literally just go check these out at the CIA website. They revolve around the government's interest in China's experiments and research into parapsychology and anomalous events in general, I guess. However, I'm not trying to prove anything to anyone. More so, give you an overview of what many consider to be real. And since any subjective reality could be regarded as objective from the viewer, the truth tends to be a point of view. The following are many of the alleged abilities gained by 1% of the population through enlightenment, spiritual growth, psychic abilities, or gifted straight up from entities in the spirit realms. Through mental training, these sages have learned to have total control over the mind, body, and soul, as well as the very fabric of reality. We'll start with the ability to see auras as well as read them. This ability has documentation in almost all spiritual traditions across the globe throughout human history. The Yogi of India are especially renowned for having this ability. And the funny thing about auras is that they are actually scientifically proven to exist. We can't see them because our eyes just don't pick up that part of the light spectrum. But with specific devices, you can take pictures of auras. There is objectively a magnetic field of sorts of energy that goes around not only any living human, but anything in general. The aura is invisible fields of energy that surround all living things as well as non-living things, and even inanimate objects have auras just like humans and animals, only to a different degree. People with the ability to perceive auras are not viewing them with their physical eyes. It's the psychic sight that sees them. The light spectrum also shifts based on what energy is being generated in the aura. This changes the color of it, and it can shift based on a variety of different things, including emotion, moral alignment, and spiritual, psychic, or physical health. And some people can even put things inside their aura, like uh, sigils or runes, I guess. Um, stuff like that, like uh, holy symbols or sacred geometry and whatnot. Some people even have auras that are pretty much almost one color, which is, uh, believe it or not, rare. Most people's auras are a cascade of different colors or just a couple of a similar color. And the people who have like a single, more single color auras, they're usually somebody of very high spiritual standing. Like uh, they can be special in some way, such as the white aura of ascended masters or people selected by higher powers to perform deeds in assisting the development of humanity in their current incarnation, like philosophers, mystics, saints, shamans, and old souls all often have white auras. In many traditions, the aura is also a representation of psychic and spiritual defense, because demons and spirits are only said to be able to possess or influence someone through holes in their aura. These areas can be penetrated by spiritual beings and 
in a way go inside the person on a spiritual level. Many entities are said to use holes in the aura to influence people, but it's also a guard against energies of other humans. Depending on how healthy an aura is, it can mean how influenced one is by others' emotions and the psychic pushes and pulls from other humans that happens unconsciously all the time. Though there is an exception because light workers or empaths are said to purposely keep these doors open. But they do that on an unconscious level, it's just kind of who they are naturally. And there's an old saying that the majority of empaths aren't even aware that they're empaths. They just think the way that they feel is natural. When literally, statistically, nobody around them feels the same way or to the same extremes. Those with the ability to see auras witness the swirls of cascading energies change color based on mood, intention, or if someone is trying to lie or manipulate them or someone else. The aura also indicates if someone has bad or violent intentions. Anything of this nature can be viewed in an obvious manner by the aura reader, which makes them almost impossible to fool. The next anomalous ability is invisibility. And I know what you're thinking, but it's not that. The ability to become invisible is more so done by psychically blocking other people's minds from registering them than actually physically disappearing from sight. The accounts of ordinary people interacting with yogic masters are sprawling with unexplainable examples of them vanishing straight from thin air. And the odd thing about these accounts is that it didn't really matter if they had looked away briefly or they had been looking directly at the yogi and he just vanished. The ascended master Pantanjali talks about the yogic ability to disappear in his yoga sutras, but it's also mentioned in many sacred Indian texts. If you're wondering what the Yoga Sutras are, they're basically just uh, documents that describe all of the anomalous yogic abilities as well as the ways to obtain them. Sometimes when a yogi vanishes, it seems like they step out of space-time for a bit, only to reappear later at a completely different date and look unchanged. And such accounts have given birth to stories of yoga masters being able to appear in two different places at once to different groups of disciples. In the CD 321, it states that invisibility is the result of looking at the body intensely with the inner eye. The Sanskrit gives a rough insinuation, and I quote, invisibility is a suspension of the course or limited projection of the body, end quote. The yogis say that through energy manipulation, the body is surrounded by an etheric vapor, mirroring the light spectrum of the sun that's an extension of the subtle energy body all humans possess that exists on the astral plane. The aura's existence, but lack of understanding, is because mainstream ordinary people are unaware of the vast limitations of the basic human sense organs. Just how much does the brain actually perceive around us? Up to 90% of what we see and hear is all filtered out from our conscious awareness. What if becoming invisible was just changing the frequency in which we vibrate on this plane of existence? Well, to yoga masters, it's a genuine possibility. Through concentrated meditation, the guru essentially makes the body imperceptible to the human eye. The collective unconscious of humanity can recognize the psychic signals of consciousness 
But with a quiet, calmed mind through years of meditation, one can virtually become invisible to others' subconscious radar. By stopping the energy of thoughts, the yoga master kind of gives themselves a psychic cloak. You know, there's a lot more to this and it's a lot more esoteric, but it's too much to go into all at once. So this is my best summary of how to explain it without going too into detail. However, it's safe to say that the Yogi of the East really believe that they have this mystic power, but they are not alone in claiming to have this uh, anomalous human ability. There are also the mystery schools of the West that claim to be able to achieve it as well, such as the Rosicrucians of, uh, they're in America, but they originated in Europe. They also claim to have the knowledge on how to achieve invisibility which is a closely guarded occult secret. But this also includes other hermetic orders and offshoots of Rosicrucianism, including the Masons, the other secret orders from like the 1800s and beyond, such as the Order of the Golden Dawn, and literally the, the countless offshoot mystery schools that they inspired. Not many people are aware that the West has a very deep and ancient esoteric or, uh, Metaphysical, I don't know, like weird philosophical, I don't know how to explain it. They have the, we basically, America also has the ancient traditions like the yogi and other mystics throughout the world. And we, it's basically unique our own. Oh, and I meant the West, not specifically America. So that's all Western culture. Like people like to borrow from the East with all of their ch like chakras and all that Eastern philosophy. But what they don't know is that we in the West actually have something like that that's completely unique in ours. It's just hidden from the public and not mainstream. You have to search for it. <laughs> that was a really bad explanation, but you know me, I'm not trying to be clinical about things. Anyway, somebody that we've talked about before on the show, the notorious Aleister Crowley himself, also claimed to achieve invisibility. Crowley performed all of the esoteric rituals required to become invisible. And then he said that he walked down a busy street dressed in a completely ridiculous outfit, but nobody would pay him a second glance or even seem to notice him at all. So this anomalous superhuman ability is less about literally becoming invisible like a superhero and more about psychically blocking yourself from other people being able to perceive you. The next anomalous superhuman ability is precognition and premonition. According to quantum physics, the future is not certain, but always shifting based on our current behaviors and thoughts. Those who are said to have the ability of precognition can glimpse into possible outcomes of the future. I'm also gonna throw premonition in here because, because there are such similar abilities. Premonition and precognition can come in a variety of forms, all unique in their own way. It can be a gut feeling that something is wrong or going to turn out to a certain conclusion. And those experiencing precognition see possible futures in dreams, synchronicities, omens through symbolism, or even visions. However, precognition should not be confused with prophecy because it's not. It is in the same ballpark to a degree though, but it's not prophecy. Prophecy is to foresee future events that are set in stone and unavoidable. Whereas with precognition, it's to see possible futures that are still in flux. 
Somebody having precognition in the form of visions will veg out for a bit in a trance-like state and see flashes of the future, which reminds me of the people from the Final Destination movies. While not really illuminating guaranteed future events, precognition can help assist in gaining the most beneficial outcome to situations basically in all ways. And this is one of the anomalous superhuman abilities that's that's said to be naturally gifted to a higher degree in humans than the other abilities I'm mentioning. However, it's suppressed early on in childhood to become permanently dormant for the rest of people's lives from social conditioning. In fact, every single person's subconscious mind is said to have precognitive abilities, and those who can open the doorway to the unconscious can, I guess, possibly reawaken this forgotten human ability. In our modern society, we look down on things like oracles from the classical age, basically just shoving it to the side as superstition. But what modern culture doesn't teach us is that the oracles, such as the oracles of Delphi in ancient Greece, gave readings that were the salvation of Greece many times over, essentially saving the Western world from Eastern tyranny, allowing a unique culture and uh, identity to grow. We wouldn't be here without the oracles of Delphi. They were objectively used to change the world on many occasions. And there wasn't anything supernatural or pagan or, you know, like magical that they were tapping into. What these oracles were doing was tapping into the precognition of their subconscious minds for the best outcomes of Greece's current situation. Yeah, this was done through drugs and, you know, like deep meditation and altered states. But it still does objectively work and happened all throughout history. The unconscious has incredible power that is untapped by ordinary people. Telepathy. Telepathy is an anomalous ability some humans are said to possess that is one of the rarest of these uh, anomalous superhuman abilities. It's the ability to communicate on the mental plane solely with one's mind. In parapsychology, telepathy is also a form of ESP. The most common form of telepathy is not a natural ability someone can use at will, but something that happens once or twice in a lifetime, usually in times of crisis, trauma, or death of a loved one. For example, the phenomenon of a twin feeling their twin's death is a form of telepathy. But telepaths, on the other hand, they can use their ability at will. Though it's not necessarily words being spoken in someone's head, like comic books and movies. Professor X from the X-Men comes to mind. But it's more the language of symbolism and emotion that is universal. And often this is the language of telepathy that's pushed into someone's mind. It allows them to communicate even with people who don't even speak the same language as them, or even animals and nature in general. Though, if the telepath is particularly powerful, they can indeed directly communicate with words into someone's mind. But this is the rarest of the rare. Usually this type of telepath is some sort of ascended master, saint, yogi, or a holy person like the Buddha, Jesus, shamans, etc. It's a top-tier human that can do that stuff. However, it is important to note that a telepath using telepathy can do so in a way that influences the minds of others without any evidence of doing so. They can transmit ideas, desires, or emotions without that person ever realizing it. Allegedly, many sacred, enlightening texts have been said to have been channeled by a higher being, which is probable to have been a telepath with immense power. 
Hello, dear listener. Have you ever had a paranormal experience? A spiritual or esoteric experience? Have you ever seen a UFO or something that you could not explain? Have you ever witnessed anomalous activity that defies reality? Have you ever experienced unexplained mysteries of existence? If you have your own cryptic tale and would like to have it shared on the podcast, then call 1-800-757-6049 and leave a message of your experience. If it's what Cryptic Chronicles is all about, then it will be shared on the show. Just make sure you thought about what you will say ahead of time and give a clear and concise account. Also make sure to leave your name, where you're from, or any information that will assist in making a clear picture to portray to listeners of Cryptic Chronicles. Once again, call 1-800-757-6049. That's 1-800-757-6049. We look forward to hearing from you. The next anomalous superhuman ability is astral projection. Astral projection, aka out-of-body experiences, OBE, has a variety of different perspectives on how to look at it. Still though, at its core, it's the ability to separate oneself from the physical body and travel in an etheric dimension overlapping the physical one. And there's a level that's even a perfect mirror of our world. The consciousness of the person is projected into their subtle energy body, allowing them to exist beyond the laws of physics. And there are many levels of the astral plane other than the etheric double that mirrors our world. In fact, there's far too many levels or spheres of the astral plane to ever count in one lifetime. And very interesting about the astral plane is that to many traditions, basically all humans travel the astral plane every single time they sleep at night. It's the realm of dreams. The mental plane is different than the astral plane, but they're very similar and connected in that the imagination and beliefs of someone take tangible form on the astral planes. Thoughts and beliefs can even give life to things in the astral called thought forms that can become sentient and take on autonomous life of their own separate from their creator. The ability to astral project means that somebody can consciously enter the astral plane at will usually in some forms of meditation or before going to sleep. In the astral realms, one can travel at the speed of thought and even manipulate space-time to an extent. With practice, these people can fly in their astral bodies, teleport, and travel to higher levels as well as the nightmarish lower levels of the astral plane. One can even learn how to dreamwalk into the dreams of others, giving that person's subconscious mind insight and guidance. Since the level of the astral plane that overlaps our physical world is connected, an astral projector can even visit people they know in real time, seeing the astral double and the astral double environment that they happen to be in. A projector can even travel through time itself, though only as an observer. But there are dangers that come with traveling the astral plane because an astral traveler has to be very aware of the old maxim, as above, so below. And for everything that exists, there is another that dualizes it, its opposite. Such as wherever there's light, there's shadow, sunrise and sunsets, etc. All things are made of polarities and duality. If something exists in the material world, a representation of it exists somewhere in the astral. What I mean is, there are monsters and primordial entities 
ineffable and beyond human comprehension that dwell in the astral planes. An example is just like there's spiders in our material world. There are astral entities that basically do the same thing that they do. Only they are not limited by the laws of physics, evolution, and any limitations imposed by the material world, meaning they can be horrifying beyond belief. This series of opposites goes on infinitely, to the point human consciousness might even be driven insane if they were to view things too far beyond the mind's ability to comprehend. But basically all yogi, mystics, shamans, occultists, esotericists, and spiritually enlightened people have the ability to astral project intentionally and consciously. This one may seem odd, but it's actually got a lot of history in uh, like yoga masters and Eastern religions. And it is the anomalous superhuman ability to teleport. It's a legendary yogi ability. There have been many tales of gurus appearing as if from nowhere, materializing out of thin air. Many yogi legends revolve around a great master who just appears out of nowhere to teach someone or even a group of followers. A lot of times, it's a yogi whose presence is known to be extremely far away or even deceased. In the book Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yoganada, the yogi goes into detail about an ascended master named Babaji. This highest level yogi has many supernatural accounts that surround him, with many of them having a vast host of witnesses. The great guru could not be contained by the physical plane and allegedly transcended life and death itself. The supernatural powers of Indian mystics are profound and powerful, making them basically nigh on gods to ordinary humans. <laughs> Good thing that they're so enlightened and humble. The yogic ability of teleportation gives the guru the ability to enter all worlds. Well, at least from Hinduism. That includes Brahmaloka, the heavens, to the netherworlds, which is basically hell as we would think of it over here in the West. And the body moves where thought sends it, enabling the guru to travel far beyond the speed of light. But also everything in between will be open to the yoga master. Virtually all planes of existence are open to the yogi once they reach this state and they can fold through all the layers of reality at will. Since all matter is one, and separation an illusion, the gurus can touch anywhere in space-time and walk through it like a doorway, because they have become one with the infinite and are no longer subject to the laws of the material universe. The next anomalous superhuman ability is mediumship which is a classic and I'm sure that pretty much everybody has heard of it. People who become mediums can witness the astral double or subtle energy body of deceased humans, or the unseen forces of spiritual entities such as elementals, demons, and spirits of all natures invisible to human sense organs. Though from a mainstream perspective, there's also traditions that think ghosts are the soul of a dead person. But this is really just one way to look at it. In the deeper spiritual traditions, ghosts are not the soul of a dead person because there are many aspects that make up a human being. Consciousness itself has no attachment to the physical world in quantum physics. And in psychology, the conscious mind and ego are actually very small parts of what makes up a person as a whole. 
with the unconscious slash subconscious being vastly larger and the more pure form of an individualized person. Human beings are scattered and shattered creatures that must be reassembled, which is one of the meanings of the old maxim, know thyself. Mediums witness a variety of ghost types, including psychic imprints, which are spirits that are stuck in a never-ending loop that usually revolves around their own death or a traumatizing event. These types of ghosts are unaware of what they are or even that they're dead. This is your typical jump scare type ghost. Mediums can also witness the subtle energy body of a deceased person that retains a level of consciousness. These types of ghosts can stay behind long after the soul has passed on into the spirit realms and is basically the main type of ghost that you would think of is a ghost when you think about ghosts. Mediums can also see the souls of mystical people who in life learn to intentionally separate their consciousness from their physical body and project it into their astral bodies. These masters of the occult can build their own sanctuaries on the astral plane and never cease in their training and gathering of knowledge. Basically just waiting to reincarnate at will when a good opportunity arises and they wish it. However, these types of ghosts will only allow a medium to see them if it's their desire because they are far more spiritually powerful than any common medium. And they're actually kind of dangerous if provoked, so they should probably just be avoided unless it comes to the medium of its own volition. And when talking about mediums, it's hard to leave out necromancy. When people think of necromancy, they think of a black cloaked villain who raises skeletons from the earth to do his bidding. But technically, when you break it down, especially with the old lore throughout history, going back to the medieval times, dark ages, all the way back to the classical age, necromancy and mediumship are the same thing. They've made a distinction between the two from as far as I could find in my research around the 1600s, but that separation between mediumship and necromancy only came about because they didn't want to seem evil or, you know, go around and tell somebody that you're a medium that's going to have a pretty weird reaction in some crowds. But if you go around and tell people that you're a necromancer, that could have some worse issues like, uh, I don't know, be burned at the stake or something because they'll think you're some kind of crazy satanic devil worshiper or something. But when it comes down to it, necromancy and mediumship are the same thing. But then again, saying that might irritate some people. And it's true that other perspectives, there is a fine line between necromancers and mediums, but it's very blurry. And when I say necromancer, I don't mean bringing people back to life or raising skeletons from the ground or anything like that. Even though that did happen according to legend and mythology, I'm more just going off of that the original term for necromancer beyond fantasy fiction is a person with the ability to summon and commune with the deceased and control and manipulate spirits of all kinds. So necromancy is basically a form of mediumship by a different name. And if you believe in the Bible or are familiar with the Bible, Jesus was an extremely powerful necromancer, if not the most powerful necromancer to ever exist. A medium has the ability to interact with forces from the spiritual planes through summoning or even the spirits coming to them on their own. And this anomalous ability also comes with a lot of dangers. Mediums can 
be very unhealthy and die early deaths if they don't have the proper grounding work and spiritual training. Being a conduit to spirits will suck you dry. And by that, I mean the vital life force. Natural mediums who never find a mentor who know what they're doing can really have a difficult and painful struggle of life if they pursue their mediumship. They can also be fooled into doing horribly self-destructive things or giving others who seek their guidance by communicating with the dead wrong information or even outright lies. There is always an entity willing to step into the shoes of a person or impersonate the spirit of a person that's trying to be communicated with and without the ability to test and see through the deception of spiritual beings, the medium is most likely doomed. You are listening to Cryptic Chronicles. Don't go anywhere. Welcome to the Chamber of Mysteries. I am Anubis, the Egyptian god of death and guide through the underworld. Recently, the goddess Ma'at pointed out to me that the scales of justice have not been in balance. This is not good and can bring chaos to the multiverse. But you, dear mortal, may help in averting this cosmic disaster by supporting Cryptic Chronicles. In doing so, you will gain ad-free episodes of the podcast, as well as bonus content only for patrons. In spreading free thinking and higher knowledge, the forces of darkness are kept at bay. Simply subscribe to the Chronicler's Vault at crypticchronicles.com. And by pledging a single dollar a month, you can help keep Apophis in the void and Ra's sky chariot soaring proudly through the universe. Also, subscribe to the Cryptic Chronicles YouTube channel. Share. Talk. Anubis, don't forget to tell them about iTunes and spreading the show. Oh, right. Thank you, Ma'at. Please, mortal, help broaden the scope of listeners for the podcast by leaving a good review on iTunes and share every episode or any Cryptic Chronicles content as much as you can. In doing so, we can increase the audience and fans for the show, spreading it across all the consciousness of humanity. Help fight the darkness by supporting Cryptic Chronicles and assist the Goddess of the Scales and I, Anubis, God of Death, in bringing balance to the planes of existence. The astral currents must be calmed and the opposites must be reconciled. As above, so below. Farewell, mortal.
welcome back. The next anomalous ability is called biokinesis. Biokinesis is changing the structure of one's body to heal or sustain great heat or cold, or damage in general. It's not only the manipulation of energy in one's physical body, but the spiritual essence within as well. A good example of how powerful biokinesis can get is the Tibetan monks from the Tumo sect, which are renowned across the world for their ability to meditate so deeply they can change the very temperature of their bodies at will. The Tumo's master, the famous Zhu, can focus on channeling the heat of his body so well he can channel it into his hands, which allegedly he then uses to heal and soothe. Zhu can even demonstrate his biokinesis at will, usually by drying things in his hands, such as soft clay, but he's also held a glass of water and brought it to a boil on many occasions for crowds. Go look up his demonstrations on YouTube to judge for yourself. This has baffled scientists, but Zhu and the Tumo monks are not alone in their ability to perform biokinesis. Literally anybody alive is born capable of doing it. Altering one's body through biokinesis can be done in literally countless ways, and you most likely have done it and do it without even realizing it. And certain reports state that those with this ability, which is everybody, can also shift the energy of their bodies to sustain great heat. I'm sure you've seen people walking over coals before. This is how they do it. But this can also be used to sit in a giant pot of boiling water and remain unharmed. Something that has also been demonstrated by the monks of the East many times over. Another great example of powerful biokinesis is Wim Hof from Iceland, better known as the Iceman. He's famous for meditating out in the freezing wilderness and bathing in ice water without suffering any ill whatsoever. His body can be in sub-zero temperatures and does not suffer from exposure or frostbite. And he's been doing this for decades. He puts on shorts and goes shirtless, basically just hanging out in the snow doing snow angels, gets into ice cube filled barrels and freezing temperatures. But no matter what, the cold never hurts him. To Wim, it's all about the mind, breath, and training of the cardiovascular system. This amazing man from Holland is probably the most mainstream example of biokinesis. But like I've already said, everyday normal people are totally capable of biokinesis without even realizing it. If you've ever heard of a placebo or been tricked by a placebo, then you know what I'm talking about. They're usually sugar pills that are given to someone and the doctor tells them that it's a real pill that will cure whatever ailment they have. But in reality, it is just a plain old sugar pill with no medical properties whatsoever. However, somehow people get better anyway, and this is called the placebo effect. Astonishingly, the placebo effect has been scientifically proven to be almost on par with real medication. The mind is a powerful thing, and anyone is capable of biokinesis. Next up, we have a pretty iconic ability. This anomaly is classically attributed to the Yogi of India or Buddhist monks of the highest caliber and that is levitation. Those with the ability to levitate can bend space-time and defy the laws of physics to a degree. In the ancient Indian Vedas, there's an entire chapter dedicated to levitation. But sadly, the language is so old and the context kind of forgotten, it's impossible to translate it into the modern form of the Indian language. So many words may mean different things concerning levitation in the Vedas, basically based off of what translation is being used. 
Despite this, legend says that there are great masters who still know the secret to this famous ability. It's only normal everyday people who have uh, lost, lost the ability to translate how to do it. But those who do know, keep it a very guarded secret and pass it on from one yogi to the next. And basically all of the highest level yoga masters and the ascended masters across the board have the ability to levitate. Though a regular spirit seeker that's out for enlightenment may tap into this um, and figure it out on their own, it's just much more rare. They just have to achieve enlightenment. The phenomenon of flying lamas has been witnessed by so many devout Buddhist monks and practitioners of Hinduism that it's eyebrow raising. But many saints too were said to defy gravity and levitate off the ground according to the canon of Western culture such as St. Joseph of Cupertino, who was a Christian mystic that was pretty famous for flying through the air. In any case, though, only the most enlightened, devout, and holy can achieve the ability to levitate. Levitation is supposedly a physical manifestation of the malleability of reality and an expression of the mental nature of all matter and the universe in general. Physics proves that physical matter that makes up the universe is 99% empty space, and all things are basically given form through different levels of vibration. Those that have the ability to levitate can break free from the laws of nature that impose limitations on the limitless. Even modern physics knows the energetic nature of matter, and that's mainstream science. So it seems that only the highest level yogis or ascended masters have mastered this reality to the extent that the laws of physics don't apply to them. There is no spoon. And that brings us to the final anomalous superhuman ability, and that is remote viewing. The psychic phenomenon of remote viewing has been taken very seriously by governments across the planet for many decades now. Essentially, it can be broken down to consciousness, gaining information separate and independent from the physical body. In its early days of more mainstream study, it was called telethesia, or traveling clairvoyance. It has also been called anomalous cognition and second sight. But remote viewing is actually a mixture of a bunch of different psychic abilities working together such as the already mentioned astral projection, but also extrasensory perception, clairvoyance, and telepathy to a degree. A remote viewer can see things even if they're not physically there. They can also get psychic imprints on items and go to locations completely beyond their knowledge based off of energy they read alone. They can watch people on the other side of the world, listen to conversations, or even see information within sealed documents. One of the most fascinating things about remote viewing is that it's been used by many intelligence agencies, including the US government, CIA, as well as the Russians and Chinese, you name it. There was like a pretty much a, a little mini psychic Russian war back when the Russians were doing their own psychic experiments many decades ago. And it's even been made into a movie about the research into the early remote viewing and other paranormal abilities by the US government. It's called The Men Who Stare at Goats, and it's kind of a silly take, but I guess it's worth watching. I saw it in theaters a bajillion years ago. However, today in the mainstream media, these studies are basically demonized after becoming public knowledge. 
and the gutter press has been used to make the mainstream herd think of it as only the whims of crackpots or the naive. The true use and research of remote viewing have gone top secret and underground, and knowing how governments work, it's pretty much guaranteed that anything mainstream that they say is probably BS. It is 100% certain the experiments with remote viewing are alive and well. And weirdly enough, some that possess the ability to remote view have even claimed to encounter a remote viewing police type group of other remote viewers ran by the government that tries to restrict other non-government remote viewers from seeing things that they're not supposed to, such as certain parts of the moon or underground in some areas. Such claims of covert government attempts to limit people from exploring beyond mundane existence have been reported by astral projectors as well. They seem to be a type of men in black for extrasensory practitioners. But out of all the things concerning remote viewing, the most fascinating thing about it is probably that it doesn't really have limitations. Essentially, an advanced remote viewer can view anything in the universe. But there are also dangers of remote viewing. If you stare long enough into an abyss, the abyss also gazes into you. Hi there, thanks for listening to Cryptic Chronicles. The show is sponsored by Blueberry, and if you're interested in starting your own podcast, use our link. We'll even give your podcast a shout out. Go to crypticchroniclespodcast.com and click on the Blueberry link on the homepage. By doing so, you'll be helping the show. Blueberry is optimized for iTunes as well as all podcast hubs. You won't have to worry about expensive contracts or fees. In fact, you won't have to leave your own website. You'll have your own RSS feed and no third-party sites. Try it for a month free by going through Cryptic Chronicles. Also, if you're a fan of cryptic content, please support the show on Patreon. By giving just $1 a month, you can really assist us in posting more content frequently. You'll also have access to bonus ad-free episodes of the show and the Discord channel. To keep up with all Cryptic Chronicles content, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and of course Facebook. Give the Facebook page a like and join the Cryptic Chronicles group. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for supporting the show. For most of all, thanks for listening. Now on to the Ascended Masters. Ascended Masters lore is an interesting subject to research. When I first came across it, I didn't really know what to think of it, but the name intrigued me. And I felt compelled to know more. As it happens, a lot of the information concerning these supernatural beings is metaphysical to the extreme. Well, maybe more esoteric to the extreme. But I'm sure you get the point. Traditions like Theosophy and other esoteric organizations have also talked about these mysterious people who have attained what New Agers call Ascension. Yeah, the Wu is intense with Ascended Master knowledge, but once I started, I couldn't stop from digging myself deeper and deeper into it. Many years ago, at the time I began my research on Ascended Masters, 
I was really into Buddhism and my never-ending dedicated meditation practice. So when I came across the Buddha himself being stated as one of the ascended masters, the desire to know more hooked me and wouldn't let go. And as I discovered, not only was the Buddha among their ranks, but so was Jesus, Anubis, Confucius, Krishna, Shiva, Saint John the Baptist, among many more names prominent from religions and wisdom traditions throughout human history. The ranks of the Ascended Masters are filled with Shaolin priests, yogis, saints, shamans, mystics, and you name it. These incredibly advanced spiritual beings have all achieved ascension and become an Ascended Master. They're said to have transcended beyond the human condition, their souls free of the limitations inflicted by material matter. However, not all who achieve ascension become Ascended Masters. It's a choice an individual makes because they are actually free to move on to higher realms if they want, or states of existence, like the heavens, I guess. But instead, they don't. They stay behind to become Ascended Masters and help watch over and guide humanity. Though it's kind of like the wizards from the Lord of the Rings, because their influence is limited to not conflict with people's individual karma and the karma of the human race as a whole. People are supposed to be challenged and learn the lessons they're here to experience in their lives. So the Ascended Masters tend to only interact with a very select type of person. They make contact with those who are spiritually awakened and those who can transcend mundane existence. They're not really allowed to influence the world too objectively because it would essentially make our lives pointless on a karmic level. Like many topics concerning New Age spiritualism, there is a lot of contradicting information concerning the same subject, with many groups of people forming their own unique conclusions. The ideas are incredibly complicated and not simple to sum up or label consistently. Ascended Masters differ from the rest of humanity because they have reincarnated hundreds to thousands of times over. They're basically the definition of old souls. And I think to understand the nature of Ascended Masters, it's also essential to comprehend the concept of the Higher Self. And there are a bunch of different names for the Higher Self depending on what tradition, such as the Holy Guardian Angel, the Higher Genius or Genie slash Jin, the Guardian Spirit, etc. Same thing, different name. The Higher Self is a part of a human being that is separate from them and their conscious existence. In some traditions, the higher self is an aspect of that person that never changes throughout all their reincarnations. With every time the soul reincarnating, the higher self retains all the information that they gained in each lifetime. And it's basically the part of us that exists between our incarnations and exists eternally, watching in the background. The higher self can also be analogous to the subconscious because opening a conscious doorway into the subconscious has a similar profound spiritual effect. A cool metaphor is that your higher self is you as a video game player, and all of the characters that you've played in the many, many video games you've played are essentially your incarnations. As a gamer, you've been all those avatars in a sense, but you're also separate and much wiser and less limited than them. An ascended master has not only transcended the karmic cycle, but also has become one with their higher self, merging into a single entity. The Ascended Masters take on earthly missions and have often contributed to guide particular humans to achieve the greatness that benefits humanity as a whole in the long game. 
they're pretty much the guardians of humankind and the great teachers throughout the ages that mentor sages and geniuses alike. One of the other interesting things about Ascended Master lore is that there's many different perspectives and groups of people and traditions who all have their own point of view of it, such as the Yogi of India. In the Yoga Sutra written by Pantanjali, there are a number of fantastic supernatural powers associated with the Ascended Masters, well, and Yogi and the like as well. When a Yogi advances to a certain point, they may become Ascended Masters and just vanish out of existence altogether. And when they come back, many of them just incarnate on Earth out of thin air as fully grown human beings. In Ascended Master lore, they never come back as a, like a growing up or children. They just always come back as fully grown adults. And they do so during troubling periods of history where their teaching is required for the benefit of the entire world. The famous and divine Babaji is one such example of an ascended master who materializes into human form at certain points in history to teach and guide. In the book Autobiography of a Yogi, written by the ascended master Yaganada, there are many examples of what these supernatural beings are capable of from a yogic point of view. If you're into meditation and Indian philosophy or Hinduism or karma and the like, you should definitely read this book. Autobiography of a Yogi. Another famous ascended master is the Count of Saint Germain from Europe. He was an adventurer with an intense love of all things intellectual and creative, as well as occult studies like alchemy. The Count is a profound scientist and artist, and anyone who heard him speak philosophy had their fucking mind blown. The famous philosopher Voltaire called him, and I quote, a man who knows everything and never dies, end quote. There are many stories of people who met the Count when they were very, very young, with them growing up and living their lives and eventually coming back into contact with Saint Germain and having their minds blown that he hadn't aged a single day. And because of this immortality, there's a legend that was formed about him saying that he discovered the fabled Philosopher's Stone and in doing so, attained eternal life. Or it could have just been that Ascended Masters can control their bodies so much they can willingly just slow down and stop the aging process and even cure illnesses within themselves at will. Ascended Masters just can straight up turn the off button on aging and live as long as they want. And throughout all of European history, Saint Germain has popped up and vanished, only to pop up again later with legends surrounding him wherever he went. One thing that did throw people off about the Count, though, was that he was never known to eat or drink, yet still went out to public places where people feasted because he just enjoyed the conversations and interactions. Some have theorized that he lived without food or water through something called breatharianism, but no matter where he went or who he associated with, the Count was never seen to drink or eat once. Something interesting about the Count when compared to other Ascended Masters is that he enjoyed the company of women and by all accounts had many lovers. There's always a part of the Count Saint Germain, a part of him deeply invested in the practices that make a person human. With the Count being one of the few or only masters to purposely step into the spotlight and the company of other normal humans on a regular basis out of enjoyment. The Count reportedly appeared in a variety of different ways with the changing styles of the times. He was very up-to-date in fashion, I guess, 
and could also be the most charismatic person ever because there was no one he could ever not attain influence over. And he always had people hosting him a place to stay, especially the nobility. The Count's origins are unknown, and he always vanishes without a trace. Though there are theories of his origins, there is nothing that's concrete. In any case, the Count Saint Germain is one of the most well-known ascended masters that directly had an influence in shaping Western culture, and supposedly there are sightings of the Count even in modern times. But the influence of the Ascended Masters in Western culture continued far beyond the Count Saint Germain's grasp and had a profound hand in sculpting many secret societies. Madame Blavatsky, a Russian philosopher, spiritualist, mystic, co-founder of the Theosophical Society in 1875, and lover of all things esoteric, claimed her work was directly influenced by Ascended Masters. Allegedly, they assisted her in writing some of her greatest work, including the legendary Isis Unveiled and the Secret Doctrine. Blavatsky said that she would go into a trance-like state and write for hours. She claimed to be a conduit for the Ascended Masters, who wrote directly through her. Blavatsky's associate and co-founder of the Theosophical Society, Henry Steele Olcott, witnessed these possessions firsthand and claimed it was an incredibly profound mystical experience for him that was never matched the rest of his life. Much of theosophy revolves around the guidance of the hidden masters. However, they are not the only ones to make that claim because many such secret societies and spiritual groups have claimed to have been influenced by the ascended masters. In fact, it was basically all the rage during the end and after Blavatsky's era when the Victorian age was coming to a curtain call. Esoteric societies like the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn would call their Ascended Masters secret chiefs maybe, that's debatable, and many more occult organizations would claim the same just by a different name. And the overall usual means of communication with them was through channeling, which as I've said before can be dubious and unreliable if not in the hands of somebody who really knows what they're doing. But this may give the impression that Ascended Masters do not possess physical bodies and only communicate through psychic manipulation, which uh, many people back then did think about Ascended Masters, but that can be perceived as both true and untrue. The Ascended Masters have little need for physical bodies, but they still do manifest in physical form if it is their will. They are still individuals with personalities and unique traits all their own. If an Ascended Master wants to take on a physical form to better their mission, or who knows, there could be a bajillion different reasons, they'll take a physical form right then and there out of thin air. An Ascended Master is very capable of just walking up to you and interacting with you as a normal person. But let's go even deeper into this Ascended Master lore, because there's also aliens. I don't know if you've heard of the Starseed community, but they took the idea of Ascended Masters and cranked it up to 11. From this perspective, humans are a fallen race. We're in a galactic quarantine with the sides of light and darkness in a war for our fate, not only within, but without. Humanity has a massive karmic debt that caused us to fall from grace on a cosmic scale, basically forcing humanity to start over after a cataclysm destroyed our once great interstellar civilization. And if that sounds weird and crazy, then good, eat it up. Because there's also evil lizard people. 
back before the fall, the Xenos aliens called reptilians were basically doing a bunch of messed up stuff and a lot of us humans helped them out or something that basically doomed the rest of us. We were hanging out with cat people and other awesome alien friends that were all part of the same cosmic family of Lyran descendants. But it all went to shit real quick, with humans knocked back to a primitive existence, with not being able to hang out with cat people always a huge downgrade. Allegedly, us humans are an incredibly adaptable and hardy form of life. Made with a mixture of different alien DNA, we are extremely adaptable. Supposedly, this is why so many different types of aliens want to abduct ordinary humans. They usually do so in an attempt to fix their own damaged genetics, or to mix our incredibly hardy DNA to make their own hybrids. Back before the quarantine of Earth, human beings were on the rise and showed insane potential on a cosmic scale. But now we're left alone. Our galactic family members were forced to abandon us after the fall, but still assist us in paying off our karmic debt and mentoring us and assisting us. If you've ever heard of the legitimate mainstream science theory called the Fermi Paradox, you know how hope-crushing it is for those who gaze out into the stars with wonder and curiosity. The paradox states that there are so many habitable planets in the galaxy that there should be a ton of aliens out there. But none of them have been interacting with us, even though they should be cruising the galaxy in a massive interstellar community. To the starseed and this faction of UFO phenomenon believers, the quarantine of Earth after the fall is the explanation for the Fermi paradox. They leave us alone and no aliens interact with us because Earth is under quarantine. But our old alien family do still hang around. They make sure that aliens that are dicks don't screw with humanity too hard or more than our karma requires. The reptilians are still here on Earth though, and we're in some sort of cold war since the fall of Atlantis and Lemuria, our previous great and highly advanced civilizations before the fall. And this is when the Ascended Masters come back to be in the alien stuff. The Earth Ascended Masters have ascended beyond their karmic debt for the fall and are free to interact with our galactic family members, with aliens known as Arcturians probably being our most excellent protectors who double as spiritual teachers for the Ascended Masters. From the Starseed point of view, the Ascended Masters awoke their dormant alien DNA and became one with their higher selves. Humans that are on the path of becoming an Ascended Master are called Lightworkers and stuff like that. And they may or may not have a connection to some Ascended Master, who can also connect them to the Alien Galactic Command, the Federation of Aliens that are related to humans. Oh my god, this stuff is so psychedelic, I love it. But in any case, according to Ascended Master lore, they are here to guide and watch over us. They assist where they can and give enlightening knowledge to a select few, to people just discovering information on them. It's baffling yet highly intriguing. They are the highest form of the human soul at its peak of evolution and spiritual awakening. But instead of moving on and advancing to the beyond, they stay behind to help shepherd and guide the people of Earth. The Ascended Masters have allegedly had a huge influence on New Age stuff, as well as uh, esoteric communities all around. The benevolence and love they show is unconditional and eternal. They speak to us in dreams and gently guide the evolution of human consciousness. 
The supernatural spiritual powers of the Ascended Masters are beyond anything a common mortal can dream of, but they only use them for the cause of good and remain with us to assist in the eventual ascendance of all humanity down to every single last soul. That was a good one, eh? Cryptic Chronicles is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, as well as basically all podcast hubs and hosts. Remember to subscribe to Cryptic Chronicles on YouTube. Follow us on social media such as Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Reddit, and of course, visit the website at crypticchronicles.com. If you decide to come sub to the YouTube channel, Bigfoot said that he'd give me free pogo sticks to hand out to literally anyone who subs. And he promises not to abduct you and take you to his smelly Bigfoot family deep in the woods. They'll force you to listen to their ape-like screaming for hours on end until you go mad with fever and ape singing. And as always, I'd like to thank some of our Patreon supporters. Shout out to Kenny. Kenny's awesome as usual. Shout out to Stephanie Wilkie, Linda Gonzalez, Mark Lane, always a badass. And of course, Angela Delaire, who's in Facebook prison right now. We're all very sad for you, Angela. The Facebook group misses you desperately. If you don't want to get abducted by Bigfoot, just go to crypticchronicles.com and click on the Chronicler's Vault. It'll lead you to Patreon, a buck a month, and you won't be abducted by Bigfoots. You can unlock unreleased episodes of the show, as well as ad-free version of the podcast, early bird YouTube videos before the official release, and other goodies like hanging out with me. I do stuff. You know, it's entertaining. Depending on what you pledge, you can even come and host an episode with me. Not to mention joining the Discord server. Let's explore some mysteries together. And I'm out. I gotta go close the portal before one of the outer gods get in to reap the souls of humanity, bringing about an apocalypse that leads to the extinction of all life on Earth. So, I guess it's kind of important I go take care of that. I'm your host, Tim Hacker, and a badass Greek dude once said, quality is not an act, it is a habit.